scripture reading comes from Genesis 1, 26 through 28 and 2, 18 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I remember those first days of middle school, and maybe you do too. Um, My family had moved uh, from a small town called Hernando, Mississippi, up to Columbus, Ohio. And, And I don't remember all the specifics, you know, those first days, they were kind of a blur. But one thing I do remember is that they were really awkward. Um, And it wasn't just because I was the only kid in my class who had a southern drawl. Um, It was also because I was a boy in middle school who lived at home with a single mom and two sisters, and I had no idea what was going on with my body. Uh, I had... (laughs) Yeah, right. I had all kinds of, you know, new feelings, new thoughts, new emotions, and there was like, there was just no way I was going to talk to my mom about it. There was no way I was going to talk to my sisters about it. There was no guy in the home. So I felt pretty lost. I mean, oftentimes I would ask myself questions, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, you know, is this masculine enough? Am I... Am I masculine enough? Like, what does it mean to be masculine? Um, Is my body cool enough? Am I strong enough? Is my body good enough? Am I boyish enough? Is this like what normal boys go through? And all these questions would swirl around in my mind. And you need to understand, even though you're seeing this picture behind me, when I would go to school, I had like, my voice would squeak just incessantly. It would crack and break all over the place. I had a tooth, a crooked tooth that was so intense. It would like poke you in the eye if you got too close. My shirt 
you know, my mom said it was always great to tuck in your shirt and button it all the way to the top. So seventh grade, you know, I'm all, I have a really strong, solid comb over, you know, southern draw. I was really, really organized, like obsessively so. And I tried to be both tough and tender, right? Um, <laughs> because, you know, I, you know, all these things I'm asking, okay, what is it? What does it look like for me to be a boy? You know, do I need to be, like, to be masculine? Do I need to be mysterious and closed off? Or, you know, like, or no, do I need to be, you know, open and sensitive? And I just, I didn't know how to navigate being a boy. So where do I go? Not having a, you know, a father figure or a brother or anything like that to kind of process this with. I went to MTV, (laughs) you know, and I started crafting together this identity which is an amalgamation of like Puff Diddy, you know, and, uh, or P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Sean Combs, you know, depending on when you found him, uh, and NSYNC. Now, as you can imagine, my life, needless to say, was just riddled with so much confusion, so much frustration, anger, fear, and shame. As I'm just trying to figure out what's going on in my body. And then this all kind of came back up maybe a couple months ago when I found my first gray hair. (laughs) Now, it's a little different. I'm asking, but I'm asking some of the similar questions, you know? I'm like, okay, what does this mean for my body? You know, like now as a husband, as a father, as a a guy who's starting to do something with my hair, like, what do you know, what do you do? And no matter who you are, you've experienced a level of frustration or confusion with this, your body, right? Right? And every life stage comes with frustrations, confusion, and shame. And yet amidst all of that, what's so fascinating is that God gave us bodies. He gave us bodies. I don't even know what it would be like to live without a body. I don't even know who I would be without a body or without specifically this body. So much of our identity and how we navigate life is shaped by this physical element. And it's not like we are who we are and then we have bodies. Like, it is much more intertwined and connected. And even though God's the one who gave us these bodies, simultaneously, some of the difficult components of that is is that the center of so much of our heartache, so much of our shame, so much of our wrestling has to do with these bodies. When we feel like our bodies don't quote-unquote measure up, what's the reality? The reality is, is we feel like we don't measure up. When our bodies feel like they either meet or, or miss an ideal, whatever that culturally informed ideal is for a body, we feel like personally, internally, we meet or miss the mark. And when we feel like there's an aspect of our bodies that misses the mark, it's so, easily, it's, it's so easy to start thinking that somehow God made a mistake. Now, amidst all the complexities that are our bodies, when we come to the book of Genesis, we hear something truly astounding that speaks to our insecurities. We hear just jumping off the pages of God's design, you are not a mistake. When God looks at you, when he looks at me, when he looks at us, he sees his handiwork. 
He sees something that is wonderfully made, someone who's wonderfully made with painstaking care. You are not an accident. You're not a product of chance, chemicals coming together. You are not a mistake. And this is the way it was intended from the very beginning. Now, if you're new, we've been walking through this book of Genesis for a little bit now. And Genesis helps us unearth the beginning of everything that indeed does have a beginning. And when you see human beings enter the scene, they literally bodily step onto the world. And God knew exactly what he was doing when he gave us bodies. So today, here's what we're going to do. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of brokenness that creeps in when you get to Genesis 3. Today, we're focusing in on Genesis 2. There's a lot of awkwardness. There's a lot of brokenness we experience in our lives. But today, we're going to look at how you and I are wonderfully made. And then we're going to look at a personal practice that's going to free us to better de delight in God's creation, who he's made us to be, okay? So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. While you're turning there, I want you to be thinking, think about a time you made something, the last time you made something. You know, maybe it was a spreadsheet. Maybe it was a painting. You know, maybe it was an article of clothing or a card to a loved one or friend. Think about that. And, and listen, there are different ways in which we go about making things, right? There are certain things when we go about making something, if we don't really care about it that much, we kind of just throw it together. It's like when I'm playing Play-Doh with my kids, you know, uh, I'll just take a little lump of Play-Doh, squish it together, roll it, and voila, it's a brilliant snake, right? Um, I am, an, you know, this creature of awe before my kids. But I don't spend too much time on it because I know, like in a matter of seconds, my son's going to say, I want that color. You know, like, oh, okay, there goes my snake. Um, or we'll put it back in the Play-Doh jar after five minutes of playing together, and there goes my creation. So I don't spend it, like, you're having fun, but you're not spending a ton of time trying to strategize how you're going to pull it together. But then there are other things in life. There are other things in life, whether it's someone that you're making something for, or that's something in and of itself that just captures your heart and you feel called and you take so much more time creating, planning, strategizing, and executing that thing. A great example of that is the artwork that surrounds us. And specifically, you could just look at Jennifer Bunge's two week, uh, pieces here that kind of bookend our stage. You see amazing attention to detail. Every stroke has a purpose. Her heart is just all over the canvas, and it's seeking to communicate a specific message to the audience. Great attention to care and detail. So with these two different frameworks, you know, sometimes we just throw things together, and then other times we take extraordinary care to make something. With those two ways in which we often go about making things, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse, beginning in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man 
became a living creature. When you look at this very initial creation of man narrative, you see instantly a picture of God's care. If you compare it to what we've seen before in Genesis chapter 1, how was God's modus operandi, the way in which he went about creating everything else? He spoke and it was. But then when we come to humanity, we see now a very intimate picture of God crafting human beings. The word that's used here, formed, that you see here in your text is a word that's often used for a potter forming or shaping clay. Imagine the potter, fingers muddy, smoothing out the edges, creating curves. God creating. He's forming the man with this, as this beautiful sculpture. And then he breathes his life into him. Have you ever had a conversation with a close talker? You know, someone who doesn't really have an idea of like personal space and they're like right here and you're like trying to back up and you can like feel their breath and not only can you smell it, you can like feel it when they exhale or something. Imagine, I mean, imagine this because God is breathing life into Adam. Imagine God is so close. He's breathing this life into Adam, into the sculpture that he's brilliantly crafted And then Adam opens his eyes like an infant out of the womb for the first time and he sees his God. Intimacy, beauty, care. The story continues. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2. Here in verses 21 and 22, we read, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now the word made here, if you look in the footnote, in in the ESV I have here, the footnote says Hebrew, the Hebrew word is actually built. It's the same word used for like a master craftsman when they're building and designing a brilliant home. What God does is he actually constructs the body of the woman. He creates, he makes the body of the woman brilliantly. Every single element of its detail right where he would have it. And then he breathes his life into her. And in the same way that Adam opens his eyes and sees his God, she too, Eve, opens her eyes and sees her God. God goes to great lengths to give us bodies, to make bodies. And it doesn't stop here with the first two human beings. If you look across the narrative of Scripture, across the storyline, multiple biblical authors will highlight God's intimate care in creating bodies. For example, David. If you look in the history of Israel, David, who was overlooked by his father, overlooked by his family, underappreciated early on for his faith, became one of the most well-known kings of Israel. And as he's meditating on God's work of forming him, now underneath and behind the veil of the womb, if you turn to Psalm 139, behind the veil of the womb and the secrecy and in the darkness 
he writes in verses 13 and 14, for you, speaking of God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So now David uses the illustration of knitting together clothing as the intimacy in which God now crafts the human body and the human person. Unbelievable intimacy and care for the body. From the very beginning, God has been engaged in creating bodies on purpose and creating your body and creating my body. And what that means in the midst of all this is that your body is not a mistake. Your body is not a mistake. It's not like we were meant to have all this other kind of life, a life without a body or a life without the specific body we have. No, we were created to have the bodies we have with these unique characteristics and aspects of who we are. When you look across this room, no one looks alike. And you can look in the mirror and you can see the limitless creativity of our creator, God. Your body is not a mistake. God gave us bodies and listen, we're not gonna get rid of them. If you jump ahead to the end of scripture to the book of Revelation and you get a peek of what's coming down the road when you look into eternity we still have our bodies resurrection means bodies the difference is that our bodies will now be transformed glorified and restored to how they were intended to be in full in full perfection one day to come we're not to get rid of our bodies but to celebrate them Genesis tells us that our bodies are a gift. They're not a problem to solve. They're not a burden to escape. And listen, a lot of our experience is skewed when it comes to our bodies because of what comes later on in Genesis 3. And so often we can focus all of our attention on what sin and brokenness has ushered in or the disability or the illness or the shame that we sometimes experience around our bodies. But don't forget that Genesis 2 is the backdrop to God's brilliant design that every single person in this room, your body is not a mistake. It's something beautiful. When's the last time you thanked God for your body? when you looked in the mirror and you saw the unique characteristics of who you are and you thanked him and you praised him for giving you a body, your body. You know what's also fascinating when you come to this narrative in Genesis is that when God creates human beings, he doesn't create generic humans. Out of all the possible worlds that God could have created and all the possible ways he could have gone about creating an image bearer, when God goes about creating a creature that images him, he doesn't create one. He creates two. Look with me again. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The first explanation, the first guiding on how we actually express our image of godness as human beings is expressed in our biological sex. Do you see that? We are created male or female with unique social expressions to portray the beauty of this robust God in whom we have been made in his image. Men and women have been given unique, endowed with unique gifts to show a particular picture of who God is that we can only brilliantly portray together. Have you ever thought about that? If you're a guy, your male body, if you're a woman, your female body is not a mistake. Men and women together have unique aspects that we get to portray together in God's brilliance that are only fully portrayed when we are together of a robust image of who this robust God is. We are created with a binary of male or female to give a truly rich picture of our God. It's kind of like why we have two eyes. With two eyes, you can see things a lot more clearly and you can get much greater depth perception, right? You can see how things fit together a little bit better with two eyes. This is God's brilliant design and how all these things can fit together. And the way you can see the world is because the unique nature of having two eyes versus just one. The depth present all these pieces. In the same way, we now have two creatures who image God brilliantly together to give us the richest, the deepest picture of who our God is when we image Him. When's the last time? When's the last time you looked in the mirror and you thanked God? for your, if you're a guy, for your male body. Or when you looked in the mirror and you thanked God, if you're a woman, for your female body. And God says over both of those, those are good. Your male body is good. I created it. Your female body is good. Now, I want to be very, very, very clear. In the midst of all this, I am not saying, and the text is not saying, that the only way you can image God is somehow within marriage. That's not what we see here. I also want to be very, very clear that the unique expression that males and females bring has exclusively to do with procreation. That's not what I'm saying. In the text, it's much richer than that. It's about these two biological sexes, men and women, males and females, brilliantly together in life together within community, giving a robust picture of who our God is just in their very nature of their difference bodily, which is beautiful. Isn't our God so creative and truly astounding the way he's designed and wired things? And listen, I know in our culture and yes, within our churches, there have been created and perpetuated these unbiblical stereotypes as to what it means to express maleness or what it means to express femaleness. I'm sorry for that. There are boundaries within Scripture. But the, 
the realm in which we can play within those boundaries is extraordinarily generous. And we should be extraordinarily generous with one another. Do not let unbiblical stereotypes of female or male limit your capacity to praise God for who he's made you to be as either male or female together in robust community reflecting a beautiful God. Now, I also want to mention something else that has been more and more prominent in our world and in our culture. More and more folks have communicated and experienced what is called gender dysphoria. This is where the embodied identity has a disconnect from the inner identity. And in the midst of that, I want to say a couple quick things. We don't have time to unpack all of that. But first, I want to say that my heart goes out to our brothers and sisters for whom that disconnect, that frustration, that wrestling is a reality. Secondly, I want you to know that myself, as well as the pastoral staff across Christ Community, is seeking to read and engage thoughtful voices in various disciplines while being tethered to what the Bible does and does not say, which isn't, frankly, a whole lot. There are no easy answers here. There are no quick, quote-unquote, fixes here. And so I hope you know that as a church tethered to God's word, we're going to step forward, continue to want to learn, wanting to grow with caution about being overly dogmatic in any realm when it comes to gender dysphoria in the midst of these really modern new questions that so many are seeking to explore. And if that is your story and you're here today where you're experiencing that, I pray you can reach out to to either myself or one of the pastors here as we seek to walk alongside of you and that Christ's community could be a church home for you in the midst of your wrestlings and your discovery and your exploration as we seek to follow God's design for our lives. Listen, you are not a mistake. Your body is not meant to be a mistake. And your maleness or your femaleness is not meant to be a mistake either. And the reason there is all of this is the reason is because only together with all these unique body types, with all these unique you know, expressions of maleness and femaleness and the diversity of two genders, only with this robust creativity that we see across the landscape of humanity, which echoes God's creativity, can we ever actually do the work that God's called us to do on his world? Look with me. Again, here at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Have you ever thought about this, Adam? There's no sin or brokenness that's entered the world yet. Brilliantly constructed. He's this gorgeous sculpture of a a human being, and yet he's inadequate for the work that God has called human beings to do. Adam is inadequate in isolation. And so God creates 
a helper. Now, as soon as some people hear that word, I want to hit the pause button and say what this word is not meant to communicate, the word helper is not meant to communicate is any sort of condescension or lowering or disequalizing of females. No way do we see that in the text. And when that becomes the tone and the tenor and the translation of this term helper, then it opens up the door for justification of domestic violence, unequal pay, and all sorts of abuses that have led to the Me Too movement response. To the contrary, this word has also been translated in other parts of Scripture as warrior. It's used for the Spirit of God doing something truly astounding. And you see Adam with all these marvelous gifts, with all this brilliant sculpture that God has made him. And then you find Eve with now these complementary gifts where they can now walk alongside of one another, doing the work that God has called them to do, but doing it better together than they could ever do in isolation of one another. A helper, not in condescension, but actually communicating the lack that Adam has without Eve and the complementary female sex, and community. And that's all because diversity was always God's best. Always God's best. He has made human beings to be interdependent and also beautifully diverse. And we can celebrate the diversity of the gifts, celebrate the diversity of our physical makeup, celebrate the diversity of humankind without being condescending by recognizing diversity and saying, you are not a mistake. Your body is not a mistake. Your male body or your female body is not a mistake because diversity was always God's best. When's the last time you looked at your own personal difference and you thanked God for how he made you different? When's the last time you looked at the diversity embedded throughout God's creation and you said, thank you, praise you, God, for your brilliant design? Now, I want to turn now in this text. There's, I think, a really great practice that we can engage that'll bring this home as we celebrate God's good design as we get to hold fast to God's brilliance and how he's made humankind. And it's anchored in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. After we see that God has this conversation about creating humankind in his image, and he does that by saying, I'm going to create the male and female, and them together, they, they together express the most robust understanding of my image. He says what in verse 28? Then God blesses them. He calls them good. He calls their bodied exist existence good, their diversity good. And so here's what I, I think would be really, really great to honor the text, to honor your creator, to celebrate God's good design and to follow what God has spoken over you is to speak God's blessing over your body. Call good what God calls good. Call good what God calls good. Now, that doesn't mean baptize brokenness. That doesn't mean that we now just turn a blind eye towards disability, illness, or broken desires. But call good 
what God calls good. Celebrate the beauty. We are both beautiful and broken. We're going to get to the brokenness later. That comes in a bit in the story. But today in Genesis 2, call good what God calls good because there's so much good that he's endowed you with because he's a good God. And one of the most helpful places maybe to start is looking at those parts of yourself that you often hold in contempt. Those parts of yourself that you often drum up shame and see as worthless or worthy of scorn. Start there and then come back to Scripture and say, is that because of my culture? Is that because Scripture? Is that, what, what's going on there? And instead start there and allow God to call good what is good rather than broken stereotypes, rather than cultural frameworks of ideals. Allow God to call good what is good. And then begin to notice the unique ways in which he's made you, shaped you, designed you. And thank him and speak God's blessing over your body. Because listen, if you can't, if you can't celebrate what God's good design in your own life, how are you going to ever freely be able to do that for others? If you can't speak God's blessing over your own body, over your own design and the way he's made you, you're going to always seek to be justifying yourself in conversations. It becomes so much easier to tear others down in order to try to somehow prop yourself up. Start here. Speak God's blessing over your body. You know, I, it was probably a couple months ago and I was putting my kids to bed and uh, the normal rhythm for putting my kids to bed uh, is just trying to get them to calm down. They're like so excited. They're like, oh my goodness, we're in our beds and now it's time to really get crazy. Uh, it's like, no, that's the opposite move we're trying to make here. And right now my daughter Ava and my son Israel, they share a room together and so they just like giggle way too much. Um, it's, it's really fun. But usually my, my mode is like, okay, stay in your beds. No more talking. Close your eyes. Let your body settle down, right? Um, but while I was doing this, uh, Ava looked me right in the eyes. And here's the thing with, like, I've just discovered is you just never know when someone, really anyone's going to open up, but especially your kids. And, and Ava just looks me right in the eyes and she goes, Daddy, I don't think I'm beautiful. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, whatever my plans were. Um, and so I sat down on her bed and I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, sweetie, why don't you think you're beautiful? And she says, I don't know. I just look in the mirror and I just don't think I'm beautiful. So of course, you know, like I'm trying not to cry like I'm crying right now. Um, I'm not composed. I'm like, Spirit of God, guide me. Um, <clears throat> and I said, sweetie, I know I'm your dad, but I love you. You are so beautiful. You're smart. You're strong. You are unbelievable. God made you that way. And you think I think that of you? Imagine what God thinks of you, sweetie. He made you the way you are. He says, you, you are wonderfully made. You're beautiful. 
And I gave her this big hug. Tears are welling up in her eyes. And I knew we had a good moment when she finally said, do you think my giggle's cute? And I said, <laughs> I think your giggle's cute, you know. Now be quiet and go to bed. Um, and I don't know where you're at. And listen, you might be, you might be like this guy, you know, right here who wrestles through insecurities and wrestles through, okay, what does it mean to be a guy? Or you might be like this sweet girl who's wrestling through, how do others see me? Am I truly beautiful? Am I truly smart? Am I, no matter where you are, maybe you just need to hear God's good design spoken over you and hear God's blessing that God loves you. Yeah, we're broken sinners. We'll get to that, okay? I just don't even think I'm not saying that, but we'll get to that. This morning, what we need to understand is that God created us human beings, diverse, beautiful, and he says, that's good. He says, you're good. He says, I love you, not just your soul, and God doesn't just look at you and see the internal realities of you. He sees your body, and he says, I love you from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. That's the God that we serve, our creator God who loves us, who designed us, who made us on purpose look different. So he can showcase his creativity. And we have the opportunity to say thank you. And how much more do we now have the authority to speak this blessing over our bodies now that Christ has come? That God, the one who created and designed the world took on a human body. Imagine how weird that must have felt. And yet he will never give up his body. He has ascended. He's at the right hand of God the Father. God became embodied like us. He died for us. He rose again as one of us. And one day he will come again, not to free us from our bodies, but to glorify them, that they might be more like him. And so wherever you are this morning, hear God's blessing over your body. You are not a mistake. You, your body is not a mistake. Your male body, your female body is not a mistake because diversity was always God's best. May you receive that as the word and the blessing of our creator sealed by our redeemer. Isn't God's design good? Let's pray. Thank you for your word, God. So often we can focus on the distortions, we can focus on brokenness, and we just completely skip over your brilliant design and how you've made us male and female, how you've made us diverse in the way in which we look and the way we navigate life as embodied creatures. And we just want to say thank you. We want to praise you. May we not get so caught up in our cultural ideals. May we not get carried away by unbiblical stereotypes. But instead, may we return to your word, rest in your design, find freedom in Jesus, and hear the good word you have spoken over us as your creatures. Thank you, God. 
for being so good. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit who indwells us. Amen.